doing here? Uh, well... Why did we fuck up a week? Yeah, we've been doing that a lot lately. Not a lot, just... I mean... A lot. (laughs) I think it's only twice. There are other podcasts out there that started after us that now have more episodes than us. Yeah, but that's not really a fair judgment because there are other podcasts out there that do like one episode per month or six episodes per year. Okay, but we committed to weekly. That's true. I agree with that. You make a valid argument. <laughs> it's like that thing um, that like all the famous YouTube creators always say is like, how do you become successful oh, yeah. on YouTube? Just keep Be consistent. Yeah, just keep making shit. Like keep doing yeah. the thing. That's true. That's a good point. It also probably yeah. helps to get in on like ground zero of a phenomenon. That's true. We definitely did uh, not. Yeah, I mean, two white guys <laughs> bitching about shit. I also it's feel like we started right around the meme of the meme that goes it around was, like all of your friends create podcasts. Now. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we basically are the definition of that meme. Oh God, so good. So good. Oh, That's why I really, I think we should, and I think we do, we appreciate our listeners for recognizing the fact that we are basically the most vanilla podcast creators that possibly could exist. And College educated people, white male. <laughs> and yet some people still uh, show up and consume it of their own free will. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's hard for us to prove who's listening and who's not. So the people that are still in, that's true. I also feel like some of them only listen like because, or at least my like some of the people that I know only listen because um, they feel obligated. It's kind of like my friend Haley, who's been on a few times. uh, I think she feels obligated because I go to her show, her musical shows all the time, or really any of her shows. Um, but that's much less of a commitment, and I actually enjoy it, right? Like, I think she thinks that she's like, hey, come see my show if you want, and I'm like, bitch, I'm going! <laughs> and uh, and so I think she's, like, trying to reciprocate, but I don't think she knows that she doesn't have to, um, because I would go to her shows anyway. I mean, I look forward to the text you're going to get about that. Me too, me too. It's pretty to be like, no, Aaron, really, I love you. It's fine. No, seriously. And now it's, you've it's just great. corrupted that water too. So now she's got to think of a third thing. I know. I don't know what she's gonna say now. It's just gonna be like, you dick. Period. She's probably gonna stop listening. That's that's <laughs> that's really the only option at this point for her. Um, it's the only way to save face. So we've avoided the topic of us not making a thing last week. Yes. Yeah, long so... enough. I'll explain what happened because it is my fault. I think I don't I mean, think. Did you see the comments about that I put on? I put on the the Facebook that we weren't going to have an I episode. Did. See the comments. I, yeah. I don't think anyone thought it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's just one of those things where unfortunate, unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, which would have been a good thing to say had this been a dog problem. Hmm. Because fur, fortunately, and yeah, okay, never mind. But maybe it's even better because I almost said infanturally, infanter, in. Never mind. Keep going down that vein. No, that's real funny. Um, no, it's not because I didn't finish Infinite Jest yet. Although I haven't yet. (laughs) I'm not going to say unfortunately anywhere in the sentence regarding Infinite Jest unless it's like. Outside of saying, unless it's a meta analysis of the discussion about Infinite Jest. At this point, um, I don't know if I remember enough about having read the book to even talk about it anymore. We already discussed it, but here's the thing. I'm going to bring it up a little bit because I assume we're going to talk about an absolutely remarkable thing today. Oh, did you actually finish a book? I finished it last. I finished it when we needed to have it finished. I just No, you didn't because that was in August or in sep- end of oh. October. Yeah, yeah, it was it was not last week, the week before, but we skipped that because Jacob was here. Oh, right. Um, I didn't know now, you finished it. But last week I was well ready, and this week I'm ready too. Um, but anyway, you know, we had the episode where I talked a little bit about how Pepper went to the hospital, which I believe 
coincided a little bit with us being out one week anyway. Um, but yeah, she she basically had a con- has a condition uh, on her right kidney where she has two ureters, and that's the tube that goes from your kidney to your bladder. And I've already explained all this, so I'll try to go faster. It's pretty common. It happens to about five percent of fe- uh, of people. Um, except a lot of times the extra kidney tissue and the extra ureter are not as good as the normal, like the, the original one that most people have and only have. (laughs) So basically they think that that was one of the risks, um, or basically one of the risks of having this duplicated ureter is that it can be obstructed and then that can... Uh, cause a risk, a greater risk for urinary tract infection, causing a kidney infection. Normally, you get a UTI, it hurts and burns when you pee, you take some antibiotics, and all is well with the world. And you take those pills that make your pee funny colors. You can, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, but in Pepper's case, because her, they believe, because her ureter was obstructed, it's a really good way for bacteria to climb up that ureter and then infect the kidney because there's not enough urine flow outward to keep bacteria flushed out of there. Um, so anyway, they were like the best option for her. They did some tests to ensure that like, yes, it actually is obstructed and yes, it is a lot of obstruction. Um, and basically they were like, our recommendation is a surgery, um, that would, basically remove the obstruction and there's lots of different ways to do it but the way that her surgeon who i'm sure will never listen so i'll call her out because she's a badass her name's dr snow um and her, her surgeon basically suggested that they go in cut out cut her ureter where it attaches to the bladder and then attach it to her other ureter to the function the well functioning ureter um, so that's a pretty good plan. The part of the kidney that's producing um, urine that goes into that ureter can still work, and that urine will just go into the other ureter. Well, on she had surgery last Tuesday, and when she got in there, it was... Um, the best way to explain it is that the, way, the, the place where her ureter was positioned was basically right behind... Uh, what's called like the renal pile or the renal arteries. It's all of the arteries that go from your aorta, not your aorta, but whatever branches off of your aorta to the kidney. Like you got your aorta and then something branches from there and then that branches into the renal the renal arteries. And those arteries do, do two things. They're kind of like <clears throat> one, one piece makes blood go into the kidney so that the nephrons can clean out your blood and basically take all of the shitty stuff that you don't want out uh, and turn it into urine. Um, And then the other piece is kind of the blood vessels that then go around the kidney and let the kidney function, give the kidney oxygen to function, right? It's kind of like, um, you know, some people think a heart attack is inside the heart. It's not. It's the blood vessels around the heart feeding the heart with because the blood the heart itself it's kind of a circular loop but the heart itself needs blood to function right it needs oxygen <clears throat> and the blood inside of the heart does not give it the oxygen that it needs it needs blood vessels to it so this is the same concept and so basically what she said is she, in her professional medical opinion she believed that it would be too risky to do the original surgery based on the fact that Everything was behind that uh, renal pile, and she didn't want to risk damaging any of that at all. In you know, which could cause her entire kidney to fail, right? So that was a little nerve wracking because it went a little longer than she anticipated. It was supposed to be about three hours, and ended up being about five hours. So that was a little nerve wracking, but we knew she had it under control. But basically. What they ended up deciding to do, um, instead of the original plan to reroute, um, is to do a complete ureterectomy. So they cut off the ureter at both ends and, and removed it. So now she has one ureter from that kidney and there's not two. 
The second thing she did, um, and she said actually some surgeons do this anyway. She just doesn't like to... She, she says it works and it's fine, but it's not her first choice. Her first choice is the rerouting. But then she also ligated the artery going from that renal pile into the top part of her kidney. Basically cutting off its blood supply so that it neither gets blood to filter and it does and it loses the blood that it needs to survive so that part that top part of her kidney will actually um, die off and eventually either sit there or reabsorb the risks for with that are not that high she says there's there's very few risks um, but the risks of just leaving it there is that it continues to fill up with urine and it has nowhere to go right there's no ureter and that's what was happening already Right, her her top of her kidney was filling up with urine, and it couldn't get out because her her ureter was obstructed. So they basically recommend that you you try to reduce the function of that part of the kidney as much as possible. So she lost basically kidney function in fifteen percent of her right kidney, which is not that big of a deal. Um, now, because of that, you want to have one hundred percent function in both kidneys, um, but this is just a good excuse for her to have a, a healthier lifestyle so that she never has kidney failure in <laughs> the other kidney or either kidney or any of that kind of stuff. So, uh, but then, so that was on Tuesday and we took her home on Wednesday or no, uh, we were supposed to record. So I fucked up twice. Actually, we were supposed to record on Monday because it was a holiday for me. I completely forgot and wasn't ready. Then she had surgery on Tuesday, and so we were going to record on Wednesday. Holiday? Then, you guys had that day <laughs> off? Yeah. Oh, lame. <laughs> um, so we were going to record on Wednesday. We brought her home on Wednesday, but she wasn't doing so hot. She had a fever, and she wasn't eating well, and she was kind of moaning. So we were getting a little worried about her, and then her fever got kind of high, like 101. <clears throat> so we took her back to the hospital that night. And so that was nerve-wracking again, but all of the doctors were very confident. They were like, look, this happens a lot. Like, her body's just adjusting to the fact that, you know, part of her kidney is, is dying. Mm. And while we know it's okay and we did it on purpose and she's going to be fine, her body still needs to adjust to that. And then also, because of her poops situation, she hadn't pooped for a while. <laughs> Almost 72 hours, and so she was really backed up, and that was causing a lot of discomfort. So much so that she was basically, we couldn't, she wouldn't even eat because we were trying to lay her down to eat, and any position to try to feed her was uncomfortable because she had so much gas and poops in there. That's so lovely. Yeah, so they got her on IV fluids, um, got her some glycerin suppositories, some Tylenol suppositories, and she started feeling way like she got a few poops out and then she started feeling way better like literally the next day so on thursday it was still pretty rough um but once they got the fluid and and some of the the poops going friday morning she was like back you know 150 percent of her normal self she, she seemed even better than normal so she's all good you know the doctors were really patient with me because I was like, we should do an ultrasound on her stomach. We should do, you know, an x-ray. Like, what if she has internal bleeding or something? And the doctor was like, dude, no, she's fine. And I was freaking out. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, so she's good. Uh, she's been back home, uh, you know, since Friday. And then she, she actually just got her four months. She just turned four months. Um, and she just got her four month old shocks on Monday or today. So she's feeling, she's feeling good. It's a busy four months, man. Yeah, it's busy. It's, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> so Pepper is good. Uh, sorry about that, Rob. Yeah. She, well, she actually was supposed to feel fine that day. It's just sometimes people have a reaction to it. If you, if she, if she has a moment, I'd like a formal apology written. And sign from her. All right. To the listeners. We'll get, the, we'll get that arranged. Yeah. In like three to, years. three to six years. Three to six years. I don't know when she's going to be writing.
I want to go back to the segment of what would Aaron do. Okay. And for the segment, there's going to be a couple links in the show notes. So when I ask Aaron to look at a picture, I see. Okay. You all need to look at the picture as well. <laughs> so what I'm going to send you right now is the official release of a Lego set that came out. Uh-huh. Uh, not recently, to be frank with you, but it just got around to to it, to talking about this and actually figuring out that this was even a problem. Okay. So this is part of the Lego Architecture series, and it's specifically within Lego Architecture. They've got a series called Skylines, where they develop mini-scale skylines of cities from around the world. Uh-huh. This particular one is Las Vegas, that we're going yeah. to talk about. I see. This set was originally to be released uh, in J- January 1st, 2017. Okay. Do you see why there might have been issues with this set with that release date? January 1st, 2017. I So, two things came to mind when I looked at it. Two, two things, and then the date brings up the second thing. The first thing is, I imagine Las Vegas may be a, a city in which there's actual competition from the building owners about who should be on it and who shouldn't. Like, I could see, well, maybe, but I could see how, like, most buildings in Chicago not even really giving a fuck. You know, like, the ones that know they're going to be on it are going to be fucking on it. And the other ones are just like, I don't I don't care. Okay, hold right? on, stop. That probably okay. makes me point. The skyline for Chicago actually exists. That is a set you can yes. buy. Oh, you did see it. You saw it on my desk. Yeah. I was going to ask yeah, you, you, what buildings did you think were on it? Yeah, I only would have guessed the the first two. The, the the two big ones, the Sear or what used to be the Sears Tower, whatever the fuck it is now, and the what's the other one called? The Hancock H- Hancock, Hancock building. building. Those are the only two that I would have guessed. The other ones I'd have been like, uh, whatever, or you know, but Las Vegas seems like so showy, right? It's, it's so yeah, showy and I, I, I hear what you're saying. Building owners would be like, I want a fucking building on the Lego set because my building is more iconic. I mean, I guarantee if you go into the lobby of one of the hotels shown here, they probably sell this Lego set. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, if I go, that's Caesar's Palace right there in the front. I bet you Caesar's Palace definitely sells this Lego set. Whereas, like, hotels that aren't on here probably didn't make it. Probably not, yeah. Probably not going to sell it. So, the second thing I would say is the date, the only thing that comes to mind with January 1st, 2017, is that it was the period of time between Trump's election and his inauguration. But I don't know anything about Trump's real estate business, and I don't even really know anything about what he does or does not own in Las Vegas. And so I would be hesitant to, to say that that has anything to do with it. Okay. Other than hold on. that, Stop. I don't know what else I the date would up. have to do with. The date it was supposed to release was January 2018. January 2018. Sorry, my bad. That's cool. That's cool. Um, that I wouldn't know about the date at all then. I, or, yeah, that doesn't really ring a bell for me. Right. So this set was announced... And to be released January twenty eighth, January first, twenty eighteen. Okay. The Las Vegas shooting was October twenty sixteen. Oh. So let me show you this picture. This is the second one in the show notes now. All right, here it is. So, Aaron, tell me when you see this, what do you notice is different? The only thing I notice different. This is like one of those those things that you did as a kid in a restaurant. Two things. That is Caesar's Palace, right? Yeah. On the far left. The the one that was released, the first image I showed you, that Caesar's Palace on the left. Yeah. So the only difference I feel like I see is that Caesar's Palace has been turned slightly, and there is now a marble or whitish or silverish colored pillar. In front of it. No, actually, that's that, not Caesar's Palace. 
Oh. The, the yellow and white building is yeah. Mandalay Bay. Oh. So the original set that was supposed to release oh. January 1st, 2018. Oh, I see. They look the same to me because I don't have eyes. Yeah. The original set that was set to release January 1st, 2018, had Mandalay Bay as one of the hotels shown. Then the Vegas shooting happened. They scrapped releasing the set, redesigned it, took out Mandalay Bay, put in Caesar's Palace, and released that September 2018. Would not have done that. You wouldn't have done that? No. Not at all. Why would you not have done that? I don't know why exactly. Uh, I don't. I don't run any businesses that are as uh, large and all-consuming as Lego is. So there may be a good financial reason for that. Now, decision, let me first but say it this: feels wrong. There was never a official released picture that came out until after the final release that showed Mandalay Bay was in it. So as far as Lego thought, nobody knew that Mandalay Bay was in the original one. So they could kind of take it back, put something different on, and re-release it without ever having... This photo leaked later of the original set. Yeah. I I don't know. I still would lean towards not changing it. Um, Because that to me feels... It's like the same thing... And I don't know, it's because it's very, it's more philosophical. It's not like one is really better than the other. It just feels wrong. It's like the same thing as, you know, when some type of tragedy happens or a terrorist event happens or something like that. It's like, well, that just, that's what, that's kind of what they wanted. They wanted culture in the world to change around them. Right. It's kind you know, it's kind of like when they say, you know, we should stop talking about, these attackers so much right because it it that's kind of what some people gravitate towards is that fame i don't understand that but um i would just say that personally i would leave it the same um unless the building was never like gonna go away so maybe that's something i don't understand is that building supposed to be demolished and rebuilt at some point or no yeah so in that case i would leave it the same and i don't have any good justification other than that just feels better to me so from which is not a very good justification let's think about lego's perspective though right so there's this company that is at all times trying to stay politically neutral like yeah completely out of any headlines for anything yeah like, Lego's whole thing is trying to be just, like, this thing that everyone can like, that there's no problems with. And they yeah. say they released this this set two months after the shooting. Okay. I can see from their perspective that that's going to end up in a newspaper, right? Like, Lego releases Mandalay Bay. Is this insensitive? And whether or not it is insensitive, it's going to be a news story. At, yeah. Whereas it, when they released Let's... it with Caesar's Palace, I didn't know... It existed. You didn't know. It. Most people have never heard of it, which is what I would. Most yeah. non people who aren't like watching Lego at all times aren't going to be. I don't. I don't know exactly what the right answer was here. Like I'm not saying that they should have released it or should not have. I just think it's very interesting that they did. Is it possible of the like? Is it possible that the first image that you sent me was one of many? Um, I don't think. From what I've read, I don't think so. What I'd say because here's here's the deal. E- even so, what what I'd say is like let's say they had three designs and one of them was Mandalay Bay and one of them was Caesar's Palace. Like, then that seems more like okay, whatever they a different a different one. No, I don't like. So they announced it was, was going selected. to. They announced three cities were going to be released January one, twenty eighteen. Two of them came out that day. Oh, I see. This one didn't come out. They announced that there was going to be three. They said it was going to be uh, Shanghai. Yeah. They said it was going to be Shanghai. They said it was going to be Las Vegas. And they said it was... I don't forget what the third one was. That was supposed to release January 1. The Shanghai one and another one did release. This one yeah. didn't get released. And they didn't say anything about it not releasing. They just didn't release it. And then it came out in September by itself. Which is... To date, this is the only one of these architecture skylines that's come out on its own day. And September is also a very weird day for Legos to release. Yeah. So it makes me think that they just completely re- had that part redesigned 
and then yeah. had to remanufacture, rebox, and resell. Uh. I bet you somewhere there was a shipping container full of Mandalay Bay Las Vegases. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. Um, I would personally say I, I think <clears throat> I tend to lean more towards life shouldn't be adjusted by tragic events whenever possible, right? If it's a necess- if it's a necessity, right, then you adjust life where needed, but. I would say in this case they I would have kept the same design but I <clears throat> I can't really say why other than just I would have <laughs> Like yeah. I have very little actual justification for that other than it just feels better to me that it stay the same Well yeah I don't know um it's it's an interesting it's interesting uh yeah. the thing that I would say is that I'm glad they did change it. Because I think that Caesar's Palace is A, more iconically Las Vegas, and B, even in the Lego, looks a little bit better. Yeah, that I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to say one way or the other, because I don't know anything about any of the iconic value of any of the buildings in Las Vegas. Honestly, that Spire thing, didn't fucking know it was there. There's a lot of things in Vegas that you probably don't know are there. Like, it's... Yeah. That fucking brown building? What the shit is that? Who I think that's the Flamingo. That? that looks like balls. Yeah, I know, but it's also just one of the most famous hotels in Vegas. That sucks. That building sucks. It should be a skyline, not like a famous building line, right? Uh, most of them are famous building lines. Like, if you look at London's, it's like the Tower Bridge, Buckingham Palace, Big but Ben. But those are those are famous for... Because of their but the, visual appearance, Flamingo is not famous for its visual appearance, right? Uh, like, people recognize it. People know what the Flamingo. People know what the Flamingo. People who care about Vegas know what the Flamingo mm, is. Okay, okay, okay. It's that, like one of the original casinos. Sense. It's like one of the few original casinos that's still left. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, that makes sense. I just think it. Same reason why on that Chicago skyline they've got that white building. Yeah, like, that know. building is uninteresting <laughs> other than the fact that it's old as shit. Yeah. I, I, my, the only one that I like, I like the selection of is the pyramid one, which I don't know what hotel that is. Yeah, I should know which one that is. I always forget. But yeah, they should have put the the pyramid one, Caesar's Palace, the castle one. The castle one, yeah. And, uh, I mean, the high roller or that. But, like, every city thinks that their Ferris wheel is famous, right? Like, every city that has a Ferris wheel thinks that their Ferris wheel is famous, so maybe not the high roller. Yeah. I don't even know what that spire is. What is that spire? I don't remember what it's called. I'm not a big okay. Vegas person. I don't own this set. I don't mind. Yeah, I know. I'm not interested. Like, As someone who okay. owns a lot of Lego sets, I'm not interested in this one. I just saw that someone speculated the next two they're going to come out with. One of them, San Francisco. That might be cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I want there to be a Seattle one. But there's not that many iconic buildings in Seattle. Yeah, there just really isn't. There's, like, the one that everyone knows. <laughs> they could put, like, uh, a whale on it. Just be like, whales are iconic. On the skyline set for Seattle, you'd put a symbol yeah. of the city. Yeah. That makes no sense. I mean, they got the fucking flamingo on there. It's like a But that actually building. exists. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just a symbolic I'm gesture. Just, I'm just I'm just playing. <laughs> All right. The following part of the podcast, which Aaron and I should have definitely mentioned in the recording, includes spoilers of an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, uh, and some other things like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Game of Thrones. So if you don't want any of that stuff spoiled, stop now. All right, into the recording. Aaron and I have actually followed through on a thing that we said we were going to do, and we both managed to finish a book. True. I am going to be straight with you. I did not know we were going to be doing the review necessarily this week. Okay. So I, I am not as well versed in it as I would like to be as I finish the book on time, and time has passed. So how yeah. do you want to do this, Aaron? Do you want to do a quick and dirty up front, this is what I thought about the book, followed by yeah. a long discussion? 
Or do you want to do, do the long discussion and then a, and then the what the quick and dirty? I like the quick and dirty first. All right. Do you want me to go first? or Do you want to go first? It's up to you. I asked you first. You choose. <laughs> All right. I, I'll go first. I'll, or no, you go first. You go first. You go. All first. right. I'll go first. Um. I would recommend this book, but I would not recommend it as highly as of many other books. This is not like a top of my list you have to read type of book. I would say that it's entertaining. It's it's interesting. Um, but it's not super deep. Like, it doesn't really make you think at all. It just kind of takes you through a story. Which there's a lot of room for books like that. I don't mind books that just take you through the story. Um, uh, and that's a, and that's, that's a fine fine thing it's just it, it's it it doesn't leave a lasting impact on my thought process nice okay um do you know what's weird i my review is almost the same and i didn't think it would be i didn't i didn't know that we'd align so perfectly on that i i would say there are a few big criticisms that i have um the first one is kind of like what you said. It's not very deep. I think it would be great. I, I think one of, the, one of the things that I love about it is all of the strong female characters. I'm not sure that Hank Green is ready for that, though. I have found that writers who, especially male writers who write female characters, have to be pretty good writers to not fuck it up. And I'm not saying he fucked it up. I just don't think he did did the female characters as much justice as I would have liked to have seen. Does that make sense? Like, the writers who are good at it are very good at it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's that's one of one of the things. The second thing is, I think it would be it's more marketed towards people like our age range because that's the age range that Hank Green is but I think it's a better book for a younger crowd it's like Harry Potter was written for teens and it and it's generally well received by teens when I reread it as an adult I enjoy it and then I immediately go oh man it's not as good as I remember you know it's like it's it's but again I have to remind myself it wasn't for me at age 29. It was for me at age 13 or age 15 or whatever. Right? So there's that. Um, I'd say the number one criticism I have um, is kind of two parts. <laughs> the first part is within about two paragraphs, it was abundantly clear that the author was Hank Green. And that's not great. Um his voice was too strong. Like the voice of Hank Green was too too there. April May felt more like Hank Green than she felt like April May to me. Which is fine. I like Hank Green and he's entertaining. So I same review as you. It's entertaining. I, it's a fun read. Would it be on the top of my recommendation list? No. Um, but... It, but it leaves something to be desired in the fact that there's not a lot of substance to the writing. It's more of Hank Green writing his thoughts. And that goes into the second part of that point is there's some really shitty social justice in it, I would say. Like one of the scenes that really annoyed me, what I, one of the things that I hate when authors do is when they leave you clues and then tell you the thing outright. They don't give you any chance to solve the clues. It's just, it, it's like a it's like a foreshadowing the paragraph before, and the next paragraph you find out. It's like really, but at some point one of the characters. Oh, ah, oh shit! I it's on the tip of my tongue. There's a scene where, uh, oh, April May is gonna touch the hand, and says, "Can I touch you?" And the hand doesn't do anything, and he the the book says or April May says to herself, "I know only yes means yes, but I touch the hand." And I was like, "Ah, it's really on the nose, right? It just punched you right in the fucking nose." And it didn't develop that idea at all, right? Like I like books who don't tell you yes means yes; they show you 
that yes means yes in like a moral it doesn't have to be necessarily a visceral way but it could even be an argument between two characters or whatever but this like shitty dependent clause of one sentence is like why'd you even do that right of course we all know that yes means yes you know but in the case where you're playing with a robotic hand that's from outer space that's not what you're thinking about right and so like you wouldn't say that or think that you know um so i think that's kind of i have the same kind of thing the other thing is the ending was abrupt i know you said infinite jest was pretty abrupt i felt like the ending didn't resolve and then one of my biggest pet peeves is there is some inkling that april may is still alive which is my least favorite part of any book ever. If you fucking show me a character dying, that character better be fucking dead. Like, when Gandalf dies, that's fine. We didn't see him die, we just saw him fall. When I see a, a fucking metal tube go through your head, you better be dead. If you're not, you fucking suck. Like, I get so pissed at that. When Harry Potter died, uh, wait, this entire thing is a spoiler <laughs> yeah. for everything. But... Harry Potter spoiler coming up. <laughs> when Harry dies and then comes back, that irritates the shit out of me. Either make the sacrifice or don't. Don't do this semi-sacrifice. It doesn't count anymore if they come back. It's just bullshit. I mean, it counted the first couple times authors did it, but now it's just such a, like, a... Re- like, the first, like, you know, you, you play with the emotions, you bring you bring them, you, like, you, you bring everyone down by killing off one of their favorite characters, and then, like, out of some miraculous thing, they come back, and that yeah. was a novel idea the first two or three times an author did it. And now it's kind of what you expect. If there's ever a major character that ever dies in any storyline, I'm like, they'll be back. Almost every yes. time. Like, yeah. we're about to do this with the Marvel franchise. Half of all of the heroes just died in Infinite War, or whatever the fuck it, that movie's called. Yeah. They're gonna be back. They didn't kill Spider-Man. So, like, he's coming back. Yeah, and, Rob, I think what we should do here by the way, is we should say that there are now spoilers for Harry Potter and <laughs> Infinity War. But I would say, as we discussed, let's mention books where things happen, but not exactly what happens. Just so that the spoilers are only like one book, the book that we're talking about. No, this is a good point. Game of Thrones, though, I love that series. And I'm not going to say what who dies or when. But he's one where when you see them physically die... But not always. Not Okay, but, but time out. Again, I'm okay with it if you don't see them die. Right? That's, that's what I'm saying. My pet peeve is, oh, that is something you cannot come back from. Right? When Gandalf dies... And Lord of the Rings is too old now. If you haven't fucking read it, then so be it. Infinity War is pretty recent, and so is uh, whatever, Harry Potter. Like, when Gandalf dies, he doesn't die. He, he slips, right? Um, there are some other scenes in some other books that I really like where they disappear. And you're like, I don't know if they're dead or not, but the characters maybe have to find out if they're dead, and maybe they can come back. That's fine. If somebody is bleeding out, but I haven't watched them die, I I get less upset. So can we talk about the specific death scene we're referring to in this book? Yes. How out of place that felt? Like, the way he wrote that death scene was so much more graphically intense and so much more viscerally, like, made me see it and feel it than the whole rest of the book. And it was yeah. just, it felt... Like, he was, rather than trying to write some compelling scene, he was trying to shock me at the end of the book. And I was like, what, uh, are, you, what are you doing here? Like, this is not what the rest of the book was. I would have appreciated that level of uh, detail in the rest of the book, honestly. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're right. That image is burnt into my mind because of how descriptive that scene is. Whereas most of the rest of the book is very surface level, right? Um, Even jokingly surface level. I'm not saying that I really wanted a deep description of the sex scene. I'm just saying they joked about how they weren't going to talk about what happened. Yeah, which is, again, that that was another one of those things where it was like too on the nose for me. Like, just skip it then, you know? Don't 
Don't talk about it. Fucking describe I mean, it, it, skip it, or... He couldn't skip it, right? Because that's what created the tension between those two characters for the rest of the book that further served to isolate April May from the other characters in the book that put her into the position that she got in. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing that was a little frustrating. It was a little predictable. Like, maybe two sentences into her having a relationship, I was like, that's not lasting. <laughs> you know? Like, it just was too... Well, I don't know. But... I don't think like I, I don't I think that's a particularly bad example because I think that up front she said before she even described the relationship that it wasn't going to last. I think they said oh, really? that yeah before they oh. started talking about Maya they were talking about how that she how skip to chapter thirteen if you want to see me fuck this up. It's like oh, before I missed, I missed that. Yeah, he said he was going to blow that before they even talked about I Maya see. the first time. I see. But like yeah, I mean, and that was the writing style kind of the beginning of the book that changed to more of a first person. Uh, view from April May's perspective, but the beginning of the book is definitely written from this has all already happened. Let me tell you about what's about to happen. Yeah. But so, one other comment that I make: the entire middle, um, what what I call like the on the the montage, right? <laughs> the Twitter montage was also a little frustrating to me in that it was. I think he did it to try to make it feel interesting, and yet it wasn't interesting enough. Right, and this is this actually. I was going to compare this to um, Infinite Jest, where the sections where he goes on for pages and pages about like the thing you have to understand about Enfield Tennis Academy is that, and then does all these that is that every sentence just feels so unique and feels so descriptive. Disagree. What disagree? I argue that those sections of Infinite Jest were more mundane and boring and useless than the sections in this book were. Oh, I love those sections I in just, Infinite Jest. I took. I had to read them several times. And I kept on falling asleep halfway through. No, 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 no. You don't. But that's that's the point. You. I think, at least in my opinion, you're not supposed to read them several times. You're supposed to just flow through it, and you pick up. The thing about that I didn't take anything but, from those long passages. It was just boring to me, and I yeah. and I I just didn't. It didn't make me understand the world better. It made me frustrated to read the book, and it made me feel like he was just trying to write as many words as he possibly could, regardless of what the purpose was. To f- I don't know what the purpose was. He was it was like a, a troll of a book. See, I actually disagree personally. I, I thought that it was now maybe he was a little too obsessed with his own cleverness, but I thought it was really clever. And some of those sentences were. Very interesting in that they they didn't tell you much, but they it's like I was saying it's kind of like the Starry Night by Van Gogh, right? It's like you got this all these little lines that paint this picture, and I just love the way those passages painted that picture. So let me ask you a question, and we'll we'll continue the the review here. But um, which one would you rate higher? Oh, this one for sure. Oh. Absolutely remarkable thing. I will never suggest anyone read Infinite Jest. I would say stay as far away from that book as you possibly can. <laughs> like, don't buy it. It's way too expensive. Don't read it. It's a waste of your time. Like, I, I don't think I've ever read a book that I would suggest less than Infinite Jest. So that's wow. really not a hard buy. Wow. Hard bar to per, So for me, I, I would rate Infinite Jest higher than an absolutely remarkable thing. An absolutely remarkable thing is is too surfacey. It's too um, it, in the writing is too generic. Well, why do you read? You read because reading books makes dopamine receptors go off in your brain that gives you a good feeling. And I agree that there was nothing complex about an absolutely remarkable thing, but in the end. I felt good sometimes. I felt sad for the security sometimes. I felt things. And then at the end, I had a dopamine feeling. At the end of Infinite Jess, it was anger. I felt angry that I had got through all of that for no reason. There was... I think... Have you ever seen the movie Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? No. Okay. uh, There's a lot of other movies like this. So just... picture whatever one's your favorite one but it's like there's like five or six different storylines uh-huh. they all kind of do their own thing uh-huh. and then 80 percent of the way through the movie there's some climax where in ways you did not expect yeah. everything collides and you have this amazing climax at the end of all the stories coming together yeah 
Infinite Jest is built like that, where that climax never happens and none of those stories ever connect. Yeah. And it's a fucking waste of time. <laughs> like, there is no payoff to all of these characters. Where the book starts and where the book ends are the same place. There is no resolution to any of the problems that any of the characters fight. All of them were fucked up at the beginning, and all of them were fucked up in the middle, and all of them are equally and separately fucked up at the end. Uh-huh. Like, they kind of get close sometimes, but then they never touch. And it's just, like, awful. It feels awful to read that book and just, like, there's no resolution feeling. There's nothing. So, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you if you... If you're looking for the resolution, then there's no resolution, right? Like, that's that's totally fine. I think for me, it's... Personally, I think he's a good writer. Like, I think that his ability to describe situations in ways that I've never heard them described is pretty impressive to me. The way he describes drug addiction, the way he describes clinical depression, the way he describes... Um, you know, just the competitive psyche, right, are all just, like, very interesting to me. And I think I'm with you. Like, I love books that, like, my favorite genre is fantasy, right? Like, that's my favorite genre. And no fantasy book doesn't resolve. They all resolve, I (laughs) promise, right? Um, And so I appreciate a good resolve. Um, But I think what I appreciate more is being intrigued while reading and i feel like an absolutely remarkable thing while the entire time i'm kind of like what is it there wasn't enough to intrigue me the entire time whereas even though infinite jest is yeah it's all shitty it's just all bad there are times when there's a passage and i'm just like i literally i'm gonna rewind five minutes and re-listen to the whole five minutes because that was fucking glorious right it was like and I, i admit maybe like Maybe what you need is you need a Thomas Jefferson infinite jest. You know how Thomas Jefferson, like, cut out the parts of the Bible that he liked and made a Thomas Jefferson Bible? <laughs> you need just, like, the the 10 or 15 passages that are, like, very well written and very impactful. And the rest of it is just kind of, like, what whatever. Um, but I think that's the thing that intrigues me is just, like, I'll hear a, hear a part and I'll be like, holy shit, that was a really interesting way of looking at this problem or whatever. Going back to something you said earlier, uh-huh. is that, and I 100% agree, that when I was reading an absolutely absolutely remarkable thing, I heard Hank Green's voice. Mm, yeah. And I've been listening, and it's been, a, I've been, I've been in Hank Green's shit for a lot of years now, so like, maybe I'm just more used to his voice, and so I can hear it in more places, mm-hmm. but in my desperate search for meaning after having li- read Infinite Jest, I watched a lot of David Foster Wallace interviews. Ah, okay. And you can, like, the voice that he has in interviews is a, I cannot imagine that's the same human being that wrote that book. Yeah. Like, it's so different. Yeah. Like, he's, he's such a sane, logical sounding person to have writ such, written such a crazy thing. Yeah. Which is, is probably twofold. One part, the fact that he, he is, I think by many accounts, while not the best human being, an excellent writer, in terms of being able to write, maybe he doesn't write your cup of tea, but his ability to translate whatever the fuck he was thinking into a book that some people appreciate is impressive. And the second thing is I think, you know, he committed suicide like he was clinically depressed. Like I think he had a special insight that maybe he didn't always project. But was a I mean, voice. you could definitely tell in the writing when he's talking about withdrawal symptoms from various drugs or addiction or depression. That he has some you, firsthand experience. Not some, like a, a lot. lot. Like, yeah. like, like, I like, like the main character whose name I forget. It's been so long. Hal. Uh, Hal is depressed. Yeah. The whole book, he's depressed. Yeah. That is clinical depression is what he has. But he and yeah, he, and it feels so real. His depression feels real. I think it's because that that is an autobiographical th- description of of depression. I agree. I agree. <laughs> the same thing with alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. That's the, an autobi- uh, the thing with the guy I feel like the spider's crawling over him. Yeah. Tony, poor Tony. Yeah, poor Tony. <laughs> poor Tony. The description of though his withdrawal 
in the bathroom? I bet that happened. Yeah, I'm sure. I bet that happened. He was in some unknown bathroom, just fucking horribly miserable. Yeah, yeah. Out of withdrawal and just drug use. I, like, there's no way that a person that didn't happen to could write it the way that it's written. Yeah, I would say, I don't know that he's had maybe every single type of withdrawal that he's, you know, describes, but he's had one or more forms of withdrawal. So so this goes to another point with other authors, too. It's like the same, my, my favorite author is Brandon Sanderson. He's a fantasy author. And one of the cool things about him is his characters are so diverse that even though maybe one or two of his characters are kind of him and might pick up his voice a little, he's got 60 other characters that don't have his voice at all, right? And one of the things that I think is really impressive about him is, uh, you know, he's a devout Mormon and he writes the best atheist characters I've ever read. Like his atheists, like... Lots of times I mean, Christian writers will write atheists as these, like, idiot douchebags, right? Like, like just these douchebag anti-theists, right? They won't write them as actual, like, thinking human beings that just happen to have different viewpoints and, and things like that. And he actually does a really good job. And in many cases, he lets the atheist win the argument. Um, and one of – that's, again, another criticism of, like – I didn't really detect any characters with any point of view that Hank Green would disagree with rather than it's that one guy. And that one guy was just a picture-perfect douche, right? He was like, he wasn't an interesting villain. He was just like, oh, yeah, that's a talking head douche that we all hate, right? It wasn't an interesting human being. You know what I'm saying? I think the, the thing that Hank was trying to do there was to paint that guy as all bad and then to bring it back around to how April was doing a lot of the same stuff Ooh. just on the other side. Yeah. So, like, maybe that, that maybe that was more of a mirror image than just a terrible person. I think that's... The, maybe, I think yeah. that I think that's what his goal with that character was because that character was all bad. Like, there yeah. was never a redeeming moment of that character in the whole book. That was clearly the comic book tied the damsel of distress to the railroad track kind of villain. Yeah. And I think he made him that bad to point it back at April. But, but, start wrapping this up. I have one final question for you. Uh-huh. Obviously the book is written so that there will be a sequel. Are you going to read the sequel? Sure. Yeah. I would read the sequel. That's why it's not on my top. I did not give it a five on, uh... On Audible or Kindle, I gave it a four. I think. Um, I don't know if so. Here's here's the problem. Here's the thing that's weird. I personally like Infinite Jest more, but I also share your criticisms of its length and its lack of like, you know, resolution, which I I do like. I just maybe I don't hate it quite as much as you. <laughs> Uh, I don't hate not having it quite as much as you. Um, if you're writing a three-page short story and there's no resolution at the end, and it doesn't even have to be a resolution and like anyone's problems are solved, at least make the characters meet each other. Yeah. Have like some type of collision. Yeah. Or, I don't know, have something happen. Have an event happen in your book that's a thousand pages long. <laughs> have something happen happen yeah and the whole thing just anything in general just have it happen yeah so have events and and interesting things happen i so one thing that i plan on doing and tony was the only character that anything ever happened to in the whole fucking book and he gets like 10 pages yeah that's true i want the same book about all about tony <laughs> that would be interesting um yeah, so I I would read I would read a sequel. Um, it, would it be the highest on my priority list? Probably not. Um, but I think the the general I'm kind of like you. I, like as a movie critic, I love really good movies, um, and I can appreciate the ones that some people don't appreciate. Um, that like only snobs appreciate, and I'm like I enjoy those. 
But I also like movies that nobody else that like get bad reviews. Like if they're entertaining, I'm fine with it, right? And I feel like that's what an absolutely remarkable thing is for me. It's something where the reviews that I've seen, I kind of doubt. Like I feel like they're not being harsh enough or these people don't read enough or because there are other like there are authors who write material for the same age range and are they're way better. Like just no offense to Hank Green, but the writing is just it's his, for, it's his debut novel, yeah. yeah. I think the reviews for this book are a little bit They're generous. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, my closing thought on the whole thing. Uh-huh. I'm closing Infinite Jest at this point, too. Nailed it. I think ten years from now, it is far more likely that I'm going to remember Infinite Jest scenes than it is that I'm going to remember an absolutely remarkable thing things. I'm going to remember uh, more about Infinite Jest than I will remember about this book. I agree with that. I don't... That doesn't mean, though... That you liked it. <laughs> that I liked it. It just means, like, yeah, there were parts in that book that really did make me feel... Yeah. Something. Like, feel something. And those those... The way the way those are written that made me feel those things, that's good I'm gonna remember that's that. burned. That's burned um, in there. Yeah. The only part of an epic remarkable thing that I think I'm probably gonna remember, like I'm probably not gonna read the sequel because a year from now when it comes out, I'm not gonna remember this book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna remember the really gross scene where a metal or wooden pole goes through someone's head. Yeah. <laughs> uh but that's because it was kind of gross and it just stood out so much. Yeah. It was, like, very um, dark. But, like, as far as the story and what happens in the book, I'm probably not going to carry that with me. Yeah, yeah. That's a, um, I'm, I'm with you on both of those points. Okay, so I've been doing some soul-searching because I love fantasy, but almost all fantasy comes in large-ish... Uh, series so you've got you know wheel of time which is like 4.2 million words do you think that is the way it is because with a fantasy type story that you're trying to tell you have to do so much world building that by the time you've built a world in which the events that you want to describe are mildly believable you've invested so much time in building that world that it would be a waste to just write one story about it yeah i think it's twofold i think it's that and it's also just the the very fact that there's no real central theme or point. Despite the fact that it's failing us right now, there probably are some people who have discerned some very hard-hitting central themes to Infinite Jest. Um, Just like all the classical novels, like Ethan Fromm or Tale of Two Cities or whatever. Like There are these central themes that can be developed and worked out in one book, in one story. right? Whereas... That's not the point of fantasy. The entire point of fantasy is to be fantastical. Right? I want. I mean, you know what would be an interesting idea for a fantasy series? A fantasy series that makes you feel the way *The Tale of Two Cities* makes you feel. Oh, I don't want to feel that way. <laughs> um, no, I'm thinking like, what if there was just like a fantasy book that was one story? Uh huh. And then, like, you wrote eight more books, so it's like a nine-book series that all told that exact same story from a different person within its perspective. Ah. I wonder if that could be interesting. I know that it is at least interesting in the Ender series. Have you ever read those? No, I don't like the author of those books, so I tend to not want to support him. I mean, Orson Scott Card is not the greatest human being. I did read the original Ender's Game, and I did very much enjoy that, and if all you've seen of Ender's Game is the movie, then... Just forget that and read Ender's Game yes. because the movie was not. But you already know if you've watched the movie, probably don't don't waste your time. And then once you're done reading Ender's Game, read Ender's Shadow, and it fucking shits on Ender's Game. Ender's Game is fucking garbage. Compared That's the one about Bean, right? Yeah. Ender's Game is literally garbage compared to Ender's Shadow. That's how good Ender's Shadow is. Like that book is fucking good. Like I I don't like Orson Scott Card either. But that book is so fucking good. Uh, you do. I would suggest that you read Ender's Game first, actually, just so that it makes more sense. But Ender's Shadow is phenomenal. I mean, what made me think of that is like how how Game of Thrones is told, 
right? Yeah. Like, they do some backtracking with, when they go to different characters. Yeah. They, he, he used to do, when he used to write books, <laughs> he would do some backtracking <laughs> and, 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 like, revisit the same scene from different perspectives, or at least explain from the other characters' perspectives why he made the decisions he made in the previous scene. Yeah. But I was wondering if they just took that to another level and just, mm-hmm. like, retold the same, like, if it just went, like, I don't know, like, the first book in Game of Thrones is probably not the right book to have done this for, but, like, you know, there are certain books of Game of Thrones that if you just found, like, a way of telling just that one book's worth of story... Yeah. ...from, like, all of the different viewpoints of the different characters... Like, obviously, if you're only writing about one book, you can leave off the whole Daenerys bit because that doesn't come in and... Yeah. Like, that. that's building for future books. You wouldn't have to do that, but I don't know. It'd no, be interesting that way. One of the cool things that and George R. R. Martin does this is some characters that you that are point of view characters lie to you, and some of them interpret in, in the same event differently. Like yeah. you'll get or hear of different events from different characters, and they interpret they all interpret them differently. And that's one of my favorite things that George R. R. Martin does is that he does that multi viewpoint thing. And many characters either outright lie or they're insane or they just interpret an event differently than other characters, which is like how real life is, uh, which is really cool. Um, anyway, you were going, you were getting into the point where you were about to suggest a fantasy novel for our next, our, our next book. Yeah. So here we go. So here we go. So they're also all very long. So many of them are 400,000 words. You know, that's like basically a thousand page book. Um, but I really, really, really enjoy a series. It's 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 more of your straight ahead, just dick around and have fun type of fantasy called the Dresden Files by Jim. You've Butcher. mentioned it before this podcast a couple times. I did, yeah. And the books are really fun. Um, and the guy is just an entertaining writer. I wouldn't say that he's good. I'd put him somewhere between Hank Green and David Foster Wallace. Uh, but he, but he's super entertaining. So I've already read all of the Dresden Files, which is 15 books. They're each about 10 to 15 hours. But he has another series that I haven't read that I've been wanting to pick up um, called the Codex Alera series. And the first book is called The Furies of Calderon. I don't know anything about it. Like literally nothing about it. All that I know is that he wrote it. And honestly... The what of Calderon? The Furies of Calderon. Um, and it looks like... Is there an audiobook? Let's see. There is. So that's good. Um, and he wrote it at a good period of time for him. Um, actually, interesting. He wrote it kind of... Oh, interesting. Yeah. So his first few books of the Dresden Files were not the greatest in terms of writing... Um, his last like five of them have all been phenomenal and it looks like this series is more towards the later half of when he wrote those as well so these should be pretty good Um, so it's called The Furies of Calderon and then I figure if you like it then we can do the second book after it if you don't like it then maybe I'll just finish them on my own time or we'll just switch off you can choose a different book and then I'll go back to book two of that for mine However you want to do it. I'm going to I'm gonna want to finish it once I start. I've never... Well, that's not true. I did... I put one series on hiatus because I think you have to have like 194 IQ to understand what the fuck is going on in the first book. Um, it's called... Shit, what's it called? Infinite Jest the series. <laughs> uh, wait, I'm, I'm looking it up. Uh, where the Malazan Book of the Fallen is what it's called, and it's just that sounds awful. It's it gets amazing reviews, but it just the the first book doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like the whole fucking thing, you don't know what's going on. So that one's on pause right now, mostly because we've been reading these. All right, well that that'll be what we're gonna say. January will. We'll uh, we'll review that early January. Or you think you can actually finish this one at a reasonable pace? Oh no, I can totally f- probably finish it in a reasonable. I finished an absolutely remarkable thing. The thing that really fucked me with um, 
Infinite Jest was just that there wasn't audiobook syncing. Right? Mm-hmm. So I couldn't read it at night. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's see. This one's 440 pages. So how long is that audiobook? Uh, let's look it up. Because remember, we said 15 hours per month. Right? Let's look on Audible here. And uh, Furies of Calderon. 19 hours and 54 minutes. I can finish that real quick. Um, do you want to do it in a month or do you want more time? I can do it in a month. I have an hour and a half commute every fucking day. I'll be done in like two weeks. Oh, yeah, you'll be done in two weeks. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's do it in a month then. Um, All right. Yeah. Fears of Calderon, uh, the Codex series. The Codex. That'll be links. It'll be in the show notes if you feel like coming along for the ride. Yeah. I encourage people, I think people should, like, get out there, chill with some fantasy. Uh, apparently, don't chill with Infinite Jest. Um, and an absolutely remarkable thing. Uh, read it if you want, but it's not going to blow your mind whole. All right, that has been our podcast for the week. I hope you guys appreciate it. Uh, we are going to be on Facebook. Uh, if you want to talk, send us an email. Uh, still got nothing at gmail.com. No G at the end. Uh, still got nothing Facebook group. You know, let us know what you think. If uh, you got any suggestions for topics you want to hear us talk about or topics that you want to talk about with us, yeah. let us know. Uh, we will work something out. I'm, I'm, I have nothing to say, Rob. <laughs>